Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. It was a bit loose from Liberatore, but it does work as the ball is poked out to the members' wing. Trelaw is onto it. The crowd is onto him. They roar and cheer, oh, and he oh. steers it lace out to Norton. A beautiful first moment for Adam Trelaw. That'll settle some anxiety for sure. Norton steers his kick through for a goal. The Dogs have got the first two, and the Maggies have barely had a look. A bounce, and then a long range. He kicked the half forward. Rusko takes it. Lets a bit of a traffic pass. Collingwood fans in full voice as he kicks it to Majacek, who puts it through. And the ball goes to full forward. How dropped it, and Stephen Martin makes him pay. That fell into his lap, and he's kicked his first in the Western Bulldogs' colours. The Bulldogs extract some round one revenge on the Magpies. And Adam Trelaw gets the first laugh over his old team. The Bulldogs, by 16 points, make a winning start to 2021. Oh, the most pleasing thing was, was the defensive aspect. We had a lot of red numbers last year. We let teams go the other end and score a lot. And so that's a good outcome for us tonight. I mean, we haven't won round one might be three years now, and Collingwood have had our measure for the last few years. So to start the year with the four points is is obviously extremely uh, pleasing from our perspective. We were well beaten in general play. I think they, they did the basics a lot better than we did. Our defence held up uh, for the insides that we faced, but we were, we were doing it on the ropes, and it's a pretty hard place to um, start from. The Bulldogs reversed their recent fortunes against the Pies, leading all night in a game that had plenty of hints to support whatever theories you're running. While Adam Trelaw drew the attention, Steph Martin made a major difference, and he'll join us after his first night as a doggy. Martin trying to barge his way through, got dispossessed. Kurnow to O'Brien, it somehow found its way back to Martin, who fended his way clear, and the A-lister arrives on opening night. Dustin Martin barging his way through, kicks the goal, which puts Richmond in front. And that has a familiar ring to it in its own right. The MCG homecoming featured a command performance from the game's best, Dusty Martin. Can he be stopped or is he bound to dominate another season? We'll ask Justin Lepich, a man with first-hand knowledge. I wish to advise the AFL Commission has approved a recommendation to introduce a medical substitute for each team during matches played in 2021. What this sub now creates is a whole series of headaches for everyone. As you can tell by what I'm saying, I, I don't support it. Well, I think there's 17 that were vocal with it. I think Bevo was the only one who, from Royal Reports posts, has not been, and uh, it was probably only because he wasn't in the meeting. And the debate that dominated the lead-up to the season, the return of the sub. Was the 23rd man necessary? And how will it affect the game? Plus, what should we expect from crowd thresholds in Melbourne next week? This is Crunch Time. We're back in our regular spot. We're at the MCG on a Saturday morning with all the on-field events and the off-field issues you've come to expect 
from crunch time since its inception as we establish, re-establish the rhythms of the footy weekend. Jared Waitley with you at a place that has provided wonderful theatre over the past couple of nights. I hear that they're happy in Finland, but I doubt they're as happy as the 95,269 who have been here the past couple of nights. Melbourne and Fremantle fans take their turn next to let out a joyous roar at the opening siren and then see the first evidence of their team in the fresh season. There's a lot to work with. Steph Martin, Gary Pert, the Chief Executive from Melbourne, in what shapes as a defining year for the club and its coach. We will set all of that up over the next couple of hours. Our team, well, a man who's known greatness as a player through the dominant era of the Brisbane Lions, and he's just out of the brains trust of the team that's dominating the current era, Richmond. It's a great pleasure to welcome Justin Lepich to Crunch Time. Lepa, welcome. Yes, thanks, Jared. Good morning. Uh, looking forward to a different side of the lens here, that's for sure. So um, let's hope I can provide some insight for the, uh, for the listeners. Have you enjoyed the first couple of nights? It's been really good. The game itself actually looks pretty sharp, but I sometimes think every round one's been sharp anyway, hasn't it? The transition's been pretty high. The, the stand rule's been very evident in helping the ball get from one end to the other, but has it helped the ultimate goal in, in getting them through the big sticks? It probably hasn't seen that yet. Nick Del Santos by your side. Hello, Del. Good morning to you all. Lovely to be here. Lovely to be able to sit next to someone. You speak about having some insight into the game. I'm going to spend the majority of the next hour or so just picking the brains of this man. <laughs> We're going to speak about Dusty Martin, and rightly so, the Tigers and what they were on Thursday night. We'll dissect last night. There's a fair bit to come out of that as well, but it is great to be here. And you look out over the MCG, they are happy in Finland. You mentioned we're 12th, and I think that needs to be discussed. Mm. What are we doing so wrong, and why are we so unhappy to be 12th in the world? But as we sit here on a Saturday morning getting ready for another game of the G, nowhere else in the world you'd rather be right now. I don't yeah. know anyone else who's done that survey. Do you know? <laughs> yeah. I wasn't a part well, no of one, that No survey. one called me asking how happy I am. Uh, they've been happy the last two nights. Our chief sports reporter is Sam Edmonds. Sam, good morning. Jared, good morning. Justin, good morning. Nikki Dell, good morning to you. I'm happy because this has been a long time, first time about this for me. Great to be back at the Coliseum. The mower there bzz, buzzing over the hallowed turf. And, and Jared, not a cloud in the sky. A little bit different to the scenes in Sydney. So well. we've lost the golden slipper today. It's gone back a week. There's 200 mils of rain forecast today. Leper had to get an emergency plane out of Sydney last night for fear of not being able to get to Melbourne. What about the Saints and the prospect of tomorrow's game against the Giants? It's mega store mayhem up there. Now, I'm told the Saints, a lot of the staff as well, have just raided the merchandise shop at Moorabbin to grab all the wet weather stuff they can get their hands on, Jerry. But at the moment, they're travelling as scheduled. That is this afternoon, flight to Sydney. That at the moment is unchanged. But they're playing at the showgrounds. What's that? Around the corner from Rose Hill, yep. which they reckon has had a couple of hundred mil in the last couple of days. So... The showgrounds, Giant Stadium, could effectively be underwater. We might get a throwback to yesteryear tomorrow afternoon. How much rain is too much rain? Indeed. Might be a bit of slip and slide. Do they the stock flippers in the St Kilda Merchandise Store? Because that might be the only yeah. chance they've got of getting through that. Is that true? 200 mils? Well, they're saying, uh, I think parts of New South Wales have been harder hit. They reckon the majority of the, the poor weather, this megastorm, hasn't even hit Sydney yet. But Rose Hill, they were saying, what is it, Jared? 100 mil over the last couple of days, another 25, 30 mil this morning. The decision made to postpone uh, the Golden Slipper made at 6 o'clock, so now set for March 27. But 
some people up there, areas of Port Macquarie, North Haven, there's been three, four, five hundred flood rescues since six o'clock last night. What is the metrics to shut a game down because mm. of rain? It's, I know I was involved in a pre-season game up in Townsville about four years ago that was cancelled. It might have been a St Kilda pre-season game. It actually was shut down, but that was pre-season. I wonder for yeah. an in-season, what is that? Well, I think if it's if it's lightning, then they'll obviously cancel it. I think if it's just purely wet weather. I mean, there'll be a ground safety issue for sure, and they'll conduct their, their pre-match checks as is custom up there, the ground management staff. But we might get some 20, 30-metre slides on the lead here just out on the knees like you did in the backyard, Jerry. <laughs> give, me, give me one impression of the Bulldogs, one impression of the Pies, and then we'll chat to Steph Martin, who you could easily tell his influence in round one. And I think the Dogs have had a long-term plan, it sounds like, to get him, and they've got him at last. So snapshot on Dogs. I liked it. Actually, my first point was Steph Martin, which is quite funny. I'm about to talk talk to him very soon because I just think it's – and as we mentioned off air, I did explain that the doggies have been trying to get him for about five years, way back to when I was coaching Brisbane every year. they'd <laughs> In the trade period, they'd throw his name up. So um, they eventually landed their man at 34. But, uh, gee, what an influence he had. He, he Not only that, he allowed Tim English to – provide other strengths for the doggies as well to, to go forward and, and mark the footy. And, and he looked even a bit more of a comfortable player because of that. First of all, the dogs, slick. And the new rules may suit them as much as anybody else in the competition. 465 disposal. And this is a team that uses the ball a lot anyway. Watching it last night, the ability to run shotgun with someone, knowing that the man on the mark can't touch them, I just think this will play perfectly into their hands. And just a quick one on the pies. Competitive, but not threatening. Dogs, Jared, could be the most watchable team 2021. It's a bit like when Neo in the Matrix learned Kung Fu and then he just comes out, how quick are the hands? The first eight minutes were extraordinary. They are so easy on the eye. And they've got their flaws, of course, but in the engine room, they're as good as anyone, aren't they? First impression of the Pies? The Pies, look, I thought they were very good. I just thought their turnovers were really costly. And one thing the Doggies do really well, given the fact they're so thick through the midfield now, that, those mistakes often turn into just slingshot goals very quickly, and, th- and that really hurt Collingwood. I thought that was the main thing that hurt them. We touched on the, the doggy slick hands, and the, probably the one threat for the doggies going forward, and I know Nathan Buckley mentioned their tackle pressure was poor. If you pressure a high handball team well, then the ball stays around the source. So the, the negative is then what is their plan B if that handball game isn't quite exploding out? So that's their one threat, and um, teams with every week will watch the doggies and think we've got to really apply that that pressure at the source. Stephen Martin is with us on Crunch Time. Steph, congratulations and welcome. G'day, Jared. Hey, everyone. What are your reflections on last night? Is a big smile this morning? Yeah, yeah it was, mate. Um, I uh, didn't get a lot of sleep, as you, as you do after those night games. But, um, yeah, what a special night. And, you know, in my selfishly, in my first game with the club, um, just had an absolute ball and... Um, yeah, just remember how, how special footy can be because it's been been obviously a long layover, layover with uh, with preseason. And there's a lot of layers to this, but just on what Leper said, have the dogs been after you for a few years, <laughs> Step? Uh, yeah, I just heard what Leper was saying. Um, yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, yeah, it, you know, for several years, I, I've, I've said before too. Like it's kind of, uh, it's really nice for me to know that the club um, likes the way I play and has done so for several years. Um, and so, yeah, left is, left is on the money there, but um, obviously waited until I was 34 to, uh, to see the light. <laughs> what, what are you... Did last night sort of reinforce what it is you think you're looking forward to then? Yeah, well, yeah, I guess, like, you know, from my narrow view of, 
of my role. Um, working with Tim is 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 just uh, it's a it's a it's a gift, mate. And um, and and to see him flourishing, um, it just gives me so much joy. So yeah, I guess that you know from my own point of view, that part has you know was really exciting, and it's exactly what um, I came here wanting to to be part of in that two prong uh, rap team. Uh, and then more generally, just I heard you talking about how slick the hands were from the boys. It's just it just continually amazes me. Like I've been here for a few months already, but um, I still you know I get shocked by the the um, the passages of play that they pull off. And um, you know it's uh, it's a really exciting brand of footy to be part of. So the right percentages there for you. I know you mentioned in an interview before, and and that uh, maybe fifty fifty is the right percentage with you and Tim and the Rock. It seemed last night you were probably the seventy percent guy. Do you think that will continue in that vein? Because Tim also showed some great signs as a forward as well. Yeah, look, I'm, I I've sort of said more recently. I think it's going to be a rolling sort of thing. I think, as you know, like there's certain matchups that I'll be better uh, with, and then other ones that Tim will be better with, and. That'll dictate a lot of it, um, but I, yeah, I would guess if, if you're going to err one way, um, Tim's you know a lot better forward than I am, so you probably um, chuck him forward a bit bit more than than me. But um, I, I I think his ruck work was really good last night too. He, I think he he looked a lot stronger than I've seen him in the past and a lot more confident, and it was really really cool to see that. Steph, you're going to get a lot of questions about the midfield group. Now, that conversation needs to now include yourself and obviously Tim English as part of this collective. So many can go through there. Last night from just that two hours of football, how much do you feel like you learnt already about the style and how individuals play within that? And then I guess as a flow-on, how long until you naturally feel almost subconsciously that you know their style and the flicking of their handballs? And, I mean, their disposal count was through the roof. Is that going to take a little while to get used to? Yeah, Nick. Um, so, firstly, yeah, it, it will, but but I, I, my style of play, I probably I like that style of play. I mean, I'm, I'm a basketballer from back in the day, and so you know, moving the ball by hand probably comes more naturally to me even than, than moving it by foot. So, I'm uh, as a ruck, I'm very happy to flick it on by hand. Um, uh, I think I think still though, as I said before, like I'm still getting used to that these guys can bail themselves out of situations, um, which is unreal because they'll attract a tackler or a would-be tackler. Um, and then once that guy's committed to him, and if we can get those hands out, which the boys generally do, um, we sort of tend to break lines and can get out, get your shoulders out and hit a forward target. So, um, yeah, mate, I, I, I think I'm, I'm sort of getting used to it. But, um, yeah, I think as time goes by, it will become more and more. Um, but, yeah, I'm just, yeah, as I said, like, just so cool to see these guys go about their business and win those contests as well. Steph, I want to ask about the matchup with Grundy. Now, it was well documented leading into the game, and I heard you speak post-game about the influence or the performances that Grundy has had against the Western Bulldogs in previous years. I noticed that I thought that you were getting across the line and just trying to create a bit more body contact. Was that a tactic to probably minimise his influence and allow you and the mids to get more on, on the other side of the footy? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably a tactic that I'm going to go with generally anyway. Um, I'm... You know, I'm, I'm I'm a bit shorter than the average rock, and I've probably got to try to move them, um, jump through them a bit more than jump over them. So, um, yeah, and and Brody likes to do that too. So I knew that if I uh, let him have a pure jump at it, um, it wouldn't serve our team very well. So yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I want to be able to get across that line and and try to move the opponent's body as much as I can. Um, I'm not a Nick Natanui, so I'm not going to be able to um, get a foot higher than the, than the other rock. So that's probably what I've got to do. 
And Steph, it's Sam Edmund here. Thanks for your time this morning. Just on Brody Grundy, I mean, there's Ruckman and there's Ruckman, and he's clearly one that, as Nick said, has tormented your new side in recent times. How much work went into, I guess, neutralising Brody amongst yourself and, and Tim and, and the coaching staff? And do you see this being a regular um, week-by-week week thing where you, there's a bit of the classroom about it, obviously, where the two minds go together to try and work out how to combat that week's Ruckman? Hey, Sam. Yeah, um... Yeah, and it's not just the two minds. Like we've got Stephen King, who's a, like a, a fantastic footy footy brain, um, and gun gun rock from the past, obviously. So we uh, we've, it's been great. We've got Jordan Sweet in the room too, and we sort of just um, throw ideas around the room and um, go away and look at footage, and then come back and see what what each of us can um, come up with. So it's it's a bit of um, you know a tactics by committee with, in that regard. Um, so. Yeah, that, that sort of process. I think I'm probably even watching a lot more vision than I ever have before because because of my role down here. Um, I sort of see it as part of my my obligation to you know to try to um, to try to uh, dissect opposition and probably take a bit of the load off Tim. Like I don't want him to have to worry you know all week about um, cutting through vision and that sort of stuff. So um, any little bit that I can help with that um, might help the team a bit. Steph, there's one thing I'm always uh, intrigued about from when someone comes from a, a football team, particularly a good football team like the Lions, and then coming into another organisation. What's the, the main difference? I know apart from the hands game that we've mentioned, what do you, what's the big thing, whether it be a training or meetings or, or what you do? Can you give the listeners a bit of an insight of one big difference between the two footy clubs? God, the, the, I should have written a dossier on this. Everything's <laughs> different. It's... Um, uh, it's uh, um, Mate, the, what, the manner of meetings, the, the, the amount of meetings, um, the tone. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I don't even know where to start with that. Like, even the approach that Bevo's got, um, you know, he, he, as opposed to Fags, it just every, everything's different. Our leadership group is totally different. Um, but I guess I don't know. I guess I guess the fact that we're down here, um, the Lions sort of were um, were. Uh, a family, as you know, a family um, away from their own family, so it's like a bit of a brotherhood down there. Um, that's a, that's very much overlap here. Um, but no, mate. I, yeah, this has been a horrible answer, but I yeah, <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot of differences. Um, yeah, I, I don't have sort of one that stands out. Had you ever, just out of interest, when the dogs had been asking for years, had you ever contemplated it before this year? Yeah, yeah, I had. Um, what was he it? He said to pay him some more money, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> he got an extra two hundred grand, yeah. and then he said, "Oh no, no, I'll stay now." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that old tactic. That's what it is. Um, no, I, uh, yeah, I, I was looking to get home um, a while ago. I uh, just had, you know, had um, personal circumstances that sort of would have sort of been better for for me then to get back. But um, yeah, that was a real thing. That was a real thing. Um, but you know. I love the way my career panned out and, you know, you know, love having my eight years up at the Lions. I'd never, ever want to um, take that back. It's going to be fascinating to see how it pans out. A great start, Steph. Thanks for sharing it with us on Crunch Time. All right. Nice to talk to you guys. Thanks. He's great to talk to. I Brilliant. remember speaking to him the morning after he'd become a, a bulldog and he provides a terrific insight. Just let's tick off a couple of items with the pies. Have you got any concerns around Brodie Grundy and his influence on the game? Profound in 2019, less last year, and the first snapshot last night. He wasn't as influential as he's been against the Dogs, obviously. 
I think Brody's always had two or three games throughout a year that he's actually been quite below par. You see some of the best that never sort of drop below that 7 out of 10. I've actually seen him a few times have a couple of 2 out of 10 games throughout a year. So I'm not saying last night was a 2 out of 10, but it's not a surprise to me to see him having the odd game where it all just didn't work for him. And he tends to probably have that calm and casual nature too where he can probably bounce back the week later. So that's probably the positive of him there. There's no doubt, and you're right, over that three-year period, going back a couple of years and then what we saw last night, that where the opposition have worked him out a little bit more. And I was, it was very evident to me last night about getting across the line. And what that basically means is don't allow Grundy to jump over you. You initiate the contact. And when you got Steph Martin, he said he's not overly big. He's big enough physically to handle himself at a ruck contest. But it's that I've, I feel like I've noticed him moving more up and down the ground. Jared, in previous years, it was probably midfield back to support. They're trying to sneak him forward because of their midfield, uh, sorry, their forward line depth. I just wonder whether he's just trying to do, being asked to do a little bit too much and he's almost in no man's land as a result. Jordan DeGowie in the debate around who to, how to use him, last night he felt neither one nor the other, which is obviously it takes a bit of sorting out as a player, but if you're not going to dominate the midfield, get him forward. Yeah, I think so too. Particularly those high transition games when their hands are flicking. One thing about the Collingwood mids, they looked all at sea a little bit to me. They didn't know. They weren't so sharp on the inside and then they the ball moved quick so then to go, he can't get to the next contest and then he can't get back to the next. So yeah, you're right. In those games, and, and Dustin Martin's very similar like that. They, those sorts of games. Richmond just end up putting him forward and he just kicks four or five. Mm. Yeah, I tend to agree as well and probably similar to the conversation with Grundy. When you're not getting a lot of the football and you're chasing backsides a lot of the time, you are in no man's land as a result. You can't get to the initial contest, but you also can't get to point B as well because it never eventually gets there. And the pies, the suspicion is the pies will just be a little bit less because of what's happened. There was, there was a hint of that, I thought, last night. Yeah, I think they've got some decisions to make, and I don't want a knee-jerk reaction off the back of one performance, but I've had a look at their average goals with their forwards. So this is over, the, over their career... And I won't go through all the names and all the numbers because it might get a little bit boring. But I'll just say it adds up to eight with their key forwards and their small forwards. Their total on average, if they have an average game, is eight goals between them. That ain't going to get the job done. The number has to be minimum 12 to 15 if you want to be competitive with the majority of teams that are in the top eight. Eight from them and their midfield aren't huge goal kickers anyway. I think they need to make a decision where they want to go all out or they want to retreat. So the dogs and the pies are on the table. The D's next will set up their season with their chief executive, Gary Pert. And then how to stop Dusty. Is it even possible? You're listening to Crunch Time for the new Navara at Werribee, Western and Footscray. Nissen. And for Red Rooster, Jared. make sure you try the new triple cheeseburger. The Rooster's calling. It's crunch time with Jared Waitley, Sam Edmund, Justin Lepich, and Nick Del Santo at the MCG on a glorious Melbourne morning. Richmond and the Bulldogs, the winners so far. The next to go, Melbourne and Fremantle. And to set the terms for the Demons season ahead, the Chief Executive, Gary Pert. We're not yet allowed to do these things face-to-face, Gary. So from the broadcast box to the boundary, welcome to crunch time. Hey, Jared. Set the terms for us, if you would, for the mission ahead for 2021. Oh, really, this is about, you know, it's a, it's a perfect day. As you said, I'm down on the ground and you couldn't get better conditions for the players. Um, so really we're hoping we get a, a big crowd, a big roll-up. But it's, it's important that the players make a bit of a statement here as well. They've had a big pre-season. There's been a big concentration of uh, the leadership group, the player leadership group, saying there's a real commitment to the standards and disciplines that we're going to see on the field. And uh, so we've had 
the pre-season to work on it and today's the opportunity to show our supporters what we're talking about. Is there a lot of judgment you think that hangs on this season? Oh, well, I think, uh, you know, we're used to that. Every game you're putting yourself out there and your your members and the media and your supporters are, are judging everything and matching it up against their expectations of what we've been talking about. So we've made it pretty clear. Goody said the same. So have the players that uh, our ambitions to be back in the finals and playing a style of footy that can win those finals. And, you know, we need to be showing consistency every week so you know last year it cost us we were we were set up to play in the finals we went to Cairns and and dropped two games that we shouldn't have and therefore we didn't deserve to make the finals so we're, we're being judged every game we play so you mentioned Simon Goodwin who's been extremely forthright he's he's shirking nothing do you like his approach to putting himself on the line with the with the levels that he set well, I think the uh, I've heard Max Gordon talk and I've heard the players talk. Uh, they're all saying the same thing, which is uh, we've, we've got to deliver. Um, and and Goody and the players, that's what they've, they've set themselves for. They've, we, uh, we did a review at the end of last year. We identified what were the key areas that are keeping us out of the finals and stopping us being able to beat those top eight teams and uh, you know we're committed to deliver on those and like I said we've got to do it every week we've got to show the consistency because that's what's separating us from the top teams at the moment. Hey Gary I just love a little insight into to some of those changes I mean obviously there was a few changes in the in the coaches box with Adam Uze came in and obviously really experienced coaching Mark Williams have they had much effect on the game styling and and maybe a little insight to maybe the one or two things we might see this year that were going to be a little bit different to Melbourne of last well, Leppy, you know what Choco's like, and when uh, he he hits the ground running in his first session, he made it very clear that as the skill development coach, um, we identified that we're, we're certainly not in the top six or eight teams from a skill execution point, um, and that includes goal kicking. Um, when you're in a position to hurt a team on the scoreboard, you've got to be able to do that. Otherwise, you just end up coming uh, close a lot and, and not getting over the line. So... Choco's hit the ground running, had a big impact from the very first session he ran. He's got very high standards and he makes it very clear he's involved in the program to be playing finals, making grand finals and winning premierships. And Adam Uze comes from a very successful program at Hawthorne. He brings the IP, he brings the energy and enthusiasm and the uh, the strategy with him that has made a big difference. And he doesn't mind talking up and challenging Goody on some of the ways we've been playing the game. So both of those guys have had a very big impact and delivered exactly like what we required when we chatted to him initially. Purdy, I just want to ask you about the consistency. And in my opinion and my personal experiences, it's still the toughest thing to be able to do individually but also as a team is to have consistent from week to week or be consistent from week to week. How do you practice that over the summer? Well, I I think there's a couple of things there. Like the consistency comes from the things that you can control a little bit more every single player on the field, which is this 
executing their skills and their roles to the highest level over the whole four quarters. But I think some of the inconsistency we've shown has been about still being a bit immature and our um, our leaders not taking control over the whole four games. And again, th- this is the difference of, say, a Richmond and the, the, the teams that are showing that consistency every week. The, the leaders, and it's not only your captain and your vice-captain, it's right across the grounds are the ones that maintain the standards out on the field for the whole um, the whole game. And, and that's been a big area of focus. So um, we've had players like May and Lever and Petrarca, Alex Neil Bullen and others step up and, and say they want to play a much bigger role and that uh, they can do more. And uh, we're going to hopefully see the impact of that today. Gary, Sam Edmund here. I wanted to ask you about Clayton Oliver, 100th game today. Obviously, great to see Max Gorn put pen to paper on a, on a new long-term deal. But where are things at with a, with a new contract for Clayton as we talk at the moment? Well, you know, a lot of th- that's in his hands in terms of uh, we're talking to his management like we are with quite a few of the other players. Some of them, um, you know, like Gorney, want to do it before the game, the season starts, and they, they want to put that to bed, and others just need a little bit more time to think about it. We'll just continue to work with his management but uh, we're very comfortable that he he loves the club he loves being part of this group he he loves what uh, good he brings to the table and you know I'm pretty comfortable that that's just a matter of time is it a, a wait and see from his point of view he obviously wants to see how the side fares early on oh no he's, he's not indicating that he wants to see how he's playing or the team's performing it's more that we're having uh, conversations with all these things they uh, they move as quickly they might be questions, there might be elements in terms of the financial packaging, all, all of these things we we don't need to rush them and, and we move on all of these things as, as quickly as the player and their management wants um, you know, ideally it doesn't ever become a distraction during the year but uh, like I said I, I'm pretty comfortable that that'll, uh, that'll be put to bed as soon as possible. And away from here, away from the game, the, the bigger picture, the search for a new facility for you. I mean, your offices are at Amy Park. The team's obviously doing most of it, vast majority of its training at Casey Fields. There's, there's been a few concepts that have been explored and deemed not possible. Where are you at with that? Well, it's, it's a pretty difficult time for the club. We're, the administration offices are in three different parts of the MCG here. Um, our women are training at Amy and our men are out at Casey Fields because um, with a shared facility at Amy with Victory and Storm, uh, we're not COVID compliant from an AFL perspective if we had have stayed there sharing gyms and swimming pools. So it's so critically important that we get that home base. We're working with the state government um, and the AFL to uh, identify a site, put the plans together and, and that working party which is funded by um, the state government and and progressing. We'd love it to move quicker, but the reality of these political processes is, um, again, we're in the hands of the the state government, but we're certainly in the best position we've been for really the last 50 years in terms of getting that base where the admin and the footy are together, men and women, we have a social club, it's in the shadow of the MCG in this um, sports precinct here, which, let's face it, is as good as any sports precinct in the world, Um, and we want to be here for the next 50, 60, maybe 100 years, so we've got to be patient, we've got to do it right, but um, I'm pretty comfortable where it's at. And Gary, last one from me, am I right in saying that Gosh's Paddock 
work isn't big enough either? Is that part of it, that you can't train team defence there because it's simply not the dimensions that you'd like? Well, it's by far the smallest oval um, in the AFL competition and uh, uh, so we're certainly working with that as part of the plans. Um, you know, Collingwood was able to win a premiership while they were training on that facility. Um, Richmond's ground is certainly uh, smaller than what they would think was ideal. But uh, there's nothing like training on a ground that's close to the same size as your home ground, which is the MCG. And uh, gosh, this is a long way off that. So when we're doing training drills, um, it is very difficult to mirror exactly what we're going to do on game day. So again, these, these are all part of the uh, plans that we're working with the government on. What crowd are you expecting this afternoon, Gary? Well, we average about uh, 24,000 when we play against Fremantle. Um, and we normally get a lot of walk-ups, especially on a day like today. That that won't be happening. I, I would suggest that we'll end up somewhere between 23 and 24. Um, they'll, they'll all be Melbourne supporters. There'll only be a few hundred Fremantle supporters. So let's say still a relatively small crowd compared to what we've seen the last couple of nights. But let's hope they're all pretty excited and yelling and screaming and we give them something to be excited about. Is it enough to justify being here at the MCG while 20-plus thousand are locked out tonight at Marvel? Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is our home ground. This is where we play our home games. Um, you know, we've had times here, even in recent times, where we were delivering 80,000, 90,000 um, people in the stands and we will have games against some of the interstate clubs like a Fremantle where we'll be um, much smaller numbers but uh, we'll you know overwhelmingly they'll be Melbourne supporters so hopefully they're making a lot of noise today. You're a veteran of these days Gary as a player and now a long-term administrator do you feel a little bit of trepidation as a fresh season gets underway in mm -hmm. the hour beforehand? Oh, I always feel toey as a as a player I felt like I could actually go out there and do something about it the problem is uh, now you're sitting there in a suit and tie during the game just watching and hoping and and you're in the same position as everyone else in the stadium so it is uh, it's nerve-wracking it's at times I, I just want to see the boys get the reward for the work they've done over the pre-season so let's hope that's what unfolds today gary always great to have your time thanks for joining us on crunch time thanks guys Gary Perth, the Chief Executive of Melbourne. So this will be our afternoon's uh, feature. Are they, are they ready to achieve the goals that they've set themselves uh, to not only participate but to win significant finals? Gary was acutely aware of what this season means. Um, where individuals sit within that and the expectations on this fo football club off the back of a few years. The honest answer is, Joe, I don't know. And I think that's sometimes a dangerous position to be in, that you're just not quite sure what you get from a particular team week to week. And I think that is just the reality of the Ds at the moment. It's just, I find today is almost the biggest game for them for the whole year. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and I don't want to sound a little bit alarmist, but you've got a rookie Ruckman in his first game probably coming up against the best Ruckman in the competition. Fremantle are a bad where Melbourne, we thought, were two years ago. And Melbourne has sort of gone up and plateaued a little bit. So this is a bit of a... Well, is Fremantle passing you right now or Melbourne, are you going back the other way? And it, it'll say a lot, the result of this game, particularly with the dominance they should get out of Gorn today. It's been that debate right through the past couple of years is who's the real Melbourne, the one that soared to a preliminary final or the one that battles to make the eight. Did, did you have a view on Melbourne um, from inside the game as to what they, they should be capable of? Yeah, consistency was always, probably the two things for Melbourne have always been for mine, consistency. Nick's already touched on that. We've already seen it already this year. They've been Richmond in a bit of a scratch match and got all excited. 
then they got smashed by the doggies in a prison and they got all depressed. They've got to find their level and got to find who they are and just deliver that week to week. The second part I'm only concerned with Melbourne is their team balance. They've got always been a, a, bull, a head in the trough sort of bull team and then never got sort of the outside part of the game strong. So they've never been a great transition game. And if anything we've seen in the last two parts of the first two games is a really high transition scoring team will win the game. Off the back of that as well, having a look at some of their numbers, their kicking efficiency off the back of last year, their numbers are alarming, really, really yeah, alarming. The, 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 so the, uh, uh, yeah. we'll, we'll take it for what it is today, but yeah. I think we give them a period of time, maybe it's three or four weeks to find that level of who they are. But if they kick the football like they have in previous years, the modern game will not suit them. The new rule changes will not suit them. The thing about kicking is very, if, if you're always kicking under pressure, always someone kicking with a hand on you, yep. it's harder to kick. So your game's still only going to have a lot of determination on how good your kicking efficiency is. I tell you what, Jason Kostagin is not a great kick. Camden McIntosh isn't a great kick. They put them in positions where it maximises their strength. So for me, it's about Melbourne making sure they get that part right. But all the jigsaw pieces in the right position, I think they've got the jigsaw pieces there. They've just got to make sure they all work together well. The insights of Justin Lepich. We'll ask him next is, is there any way to curb Dustin Martin? (laughs) Can Kane be placated? Is it possible if you put enough time in? You're listening to Crunch Time. Thanks to Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships. Test drive the new Nissan Navara today. And for Red Rooster, of course, Jared, make sure you try the new triple cheeseburger the Rooster's calling. Crunch time for Red Rooster. Try the new triple cheeseburger, the Rooster's Calling. And for the new Navara at Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan. Crunch time on the first Saturday of the 2021 season where Melbourne and Fremantle will play on a sunbathe the MCG. We'll work our way through the key issues of the week in the build-up to the season with Sam Edmund shortly. Nick Del Santo and I were in place on Thursday night where we marvelled at the deeds of Dustin Martin. And from the final siren, this is the conversation I've most been looking forward to. <laughs> Justin Lepich has joined our Crunch Time team. And it's really what order to put these questions in. So let me ask you, Lepa, first... Do, are you surprised that teams don't seem to absolutely prioritise curbing the influence of Dustin Martin? No, I'm not surprised because there's, the football's now played as a team sport. Yeah? You play in, in many ways as far as team defence. I look after my player, but also look half after yours and half after them. So we all work together. But you're right, there's a point with Dustin, and particularly in big games. Um, and I shouldn't say not every team does this. Fremantle put a lot of work into this last year and Reese Conker did that job very well. Whether he crossed the line a little bit with some of his holding and things like that, that could be debated. But that was one successful tactic that actually worked where, and that's the best way to do it, have a midfield that starts next to him and then you hand over. But it takes a good system to be able to do that. And sometimes Dusty's really aware of how to slip between those cracks. If you were coaching against him, how big a, would you sacrifice some of your system to try to curb the influence of the most dangerous player in the game? Uh, yeah, I would. I've seen the, the, the few times I have seen it work, going to the Fremantle to, uh, team last year, but also I think there was a game a few years ago, and this guy's not even in the AFL anymore, but Nick Robertson played, did it, mm. the job at Brisbane. He's playing over in Perth, but big, strong guy, fit, and also doesn't fear Dustin. I think a lot of players, surprisingly, are a bit scared of him, so they don't want a body up next to him. So I, I think that's a genuine factor as well. Um, whereas you need to have someone that's almost stupidly fearless um, and strong and doesn't care what the results get, doesn't care the crowd's booing him, doesn't care that he's touching probably God at that point in time. So it takes a lot of courage to do that. Levi Greenwood was another player in the past and he only ended up tagging a couple of times a year and it was Joel Selwood and Dustin Martin would be the ones that he would always go to. 
We covered the game on Thursday night, and I'm still staggered. I've got another 100 questions for you to explain how this is still going on. But I watched Dustin Martin, start at the centre square bounce, walk forward, unopposed. I saw Dustin Martin be one out by himself, 20, 30 metres goal side, all by himself. I saw him come to centre wing multiple times out of a centre square bounce, all alone. If you are reviewing the midfield, okay, and let's say the tagging's out of the game or the accountability's out of the game, in review, would you still speak to your midfield group and say, hey, take away his surname and who he is. He needs to be manned up no matter which opposition player that is. Or is that completely gone from the game as well? And it's just, well, let's move on. That particular play happened. Well, you have to treat Dustin as a forward. He's not a mid. So yep. even if he's starting in the centre square bounds, he's a forward. So how you set your system up, you can't have a half forward, for, for instance, that drags a half back out and then Dustin slips into that hole. So you, you can't, you've got to have a strategy where you almost start as a seventh defender, so to speak, that's just there waiting for him to come through. I guess in the NFL, they, they'll call it a safety or, or someone that's just waiting back there, waiting for that threat to come. Because if you don't have that sort of strategy, you have to play one-on-one. Mm. And to do that, that's where he slips the cracks. He'll look around and go, well, there's a space over there. I still haven't been manned up. There's a space over there. He's the smartest player in the game, not just the strongest. So he knows how to, to, to get the maximum of every situation. And Justin, you've just left there. What sort of license does someone like him have? Is it open license? <laughs> go wherever you want, wherever you see fit? Yeah, the, the one thing Richmond have worked out, and, and probably the team I played for as well worked out, is playing to your strengths. And, and one thing you'll always see, you'll always see Camden McIntosh on the outside of the wing. He's the yeah. best runner running up and back and up and back. He's probably the only guy that can do that. He's touched on Melbourne a little bit before, but if you said to Dustin, we want you to play wing in that role for a few minutes, there's, there's absolutely no way he can do that. He's got no ability to run 100 metres at a time. So Dustin's always at the ball. So he's at the centre square bounce. Then he's anticipating that next contest, that point B that we spoke about. If they, then all of a sudden there's a stoppage, you walk back up to the walk back up to the stoppage, compete the stoppage again, drift back forward to the next contest. He's always in this area as much as he can in the game where his strengths are. Tell us about the flow, and we'll, this is all around Dusty, but just about how this manoeuvres, because a lot of people, and maybe including ourselves, are still trying to work out this role. Watching him in person again for the 50th time, to see him in that amount of space. On the flip side, how do the Tigers not get caught out with Dusty going forward and being, say, an extra forward? Who comes up and supports and covers Dusty's backside on the other way? Yeah, well, Kane Lambert should be given a pay rise every year. But um, as I said, you've got a midfielder that pushes forward. That means there always has to be a forward that comes up to equalise the numbers. And it's usually a Kane Lambert, Jason Castagna part-time, um, Shane Edwards as well. So they support Dustin and allow him to do what he needs to do. So... Often then you get a Shane Edwards up in the midfield on his own as well. So you've got probably the most creative player by hands comes up as a forward. His defender might drop off. So now you've got Shane Edwards on his own through the midfield and you've got a Dustin Martin floating forward on his own as basically a forward. So that, that's the basic strategy of it, but also they're so good at knowing and manipulating every situation. How great is he? You know greatness. You've played alongside Michael Voss and Simon Black and Jason Ackermanis. Mm. Uh, you're no slouch yourself. How great a player is Dusty Martin? Oh, he, he's obviously... He's the best big-time game player I've seen, and I'm not telling everything that I don't, don't know there. Um, but he's... One, I mean, Dustin's got things there. He doesn't jump. He doesn't go from contested marks. There's certain things that he does, Michael Voss would do, um, which Dustin doesn't do, but he sticks into his wheelhouse perfectly. He's a ground-level player, never loses his feet, doesn't lose a contest, um, and he knows the moment, which I think all great players do. They know the moment when you're needed. I'll just jump on my back. I'll, I'll take you. I'll kick the next goal or two where you need, 
and then everyone else falls in behind that. Could you have played on him? Yeah, we, oh, we've had this debate. It's funny because <laughs> the, the old Brisbane versus Richmond thing started coming out and I, I say to Dustin, you know, I'd probably have to take you and you move forward. You go, oh, yeah, how good would that be? I said, you wouldn't get a kick on me. So watch out. So we used to have those confidence. And thank God I don't have to play on him because he'd kick 10 on me. How, how would you have played him in essence? Um, it would have been yeah, difficult, difficult, because um, I was always a play from the front sort of guy, whereas you, you probably have to sweat on Dustin and be quite physical with him. Um, and always be there with him. Mel Michael would have been a better suit, to be honest. Um, that sort of big, strong player, because Dustin doesn't actually run around a lot, move around a lot when he's down there, but he just does so so much so well in that 20-metre area. That's his go in his game. So he keeps trying to be in that 20-metre area around the ball, and magic happens. I feel like we need to break out the whiteboards and the old yes. vision. Justin Leverage with us on Crunch Time. This Sunday, Melbourne United home games are back at John Kane Arena. United take on the Brian Gorgian coached Illawarra Hawks. See Jock Landau, Chris Golding and the Melbourne United Stars in action. Tip-offs 3pm, ticketech.com.au. The award-winning Crunch Time. The first Saturday of the AFL season, it is a reconnection to our old lives as we put it all back together. Melbourne and Fremantle fans get their chance to roar at an opening siren for the first time in too long at the MCG, as Richmond and Carlton fans have done, and the Dogs and Maggies fans last night who seemed to roar themselves hoarse in the early stages of that game. It's all tremendously reassuring and Melbourne has turned on a great day for it. Barely a cloud in the sky in the mid-twenties, so it couldn't be more perfect to get into the terraces, the Demons and the Dockers. You're on Crunch Time with Jared Waitley, Sam Edmund, Nick Del Santo and Justin Lepich, who's providing us with some tremendous insights straight out of the coach's box and first-hand experience with the likes of Dustin Martin. Uh, to the issues of the week, it dominated by the, the sub-debate. Now moving to the crowds. Let's do the crowd scenario first. So there is a level of... Victoria is a conservative place, and having lived through the past 12 months, that's understandable to agree to a degree. We've been taught to be grateful for what we've got. So 50% crowds is, is a reasonable starting point. Gil McLaughlin said he was booked in to chat with health officials on Monday, and there is a graduated increase. He stated his hope of a full house by Anzac Day. Martin Pakula, the Victorian sports minister on Thursday, just tapped the brakes on that as to whether it would get that far. Uh, the Herald Sun's front page is sort of catching up with all of that today. Sam Edmund, what can footy fans in Victoria particularly expect from their crowd thresholds in the short term? So this all came to a head on Monday, Jared. where as you mentioned, well, Gil's actually meeting with Jerome Weimer, the Deputy Secretary at the Department of Health and Human Services, and I guess the man we've really come to know as, as one of the key spokesmen over the, the past year when it comes to the government's COVID messaging. Now, that's more of a catch-up exercise over a couple of flat whites, but the key talks will take place later on Monday when the AFL, the government and stadium chiefs. That's when this is going to be laid out. Now, I've spoken to some key players close to this this morning. It's far more likely that we're going to get a roadmap rather than the floodgates opening, all building towards Anzac Day. Now, 55 to 60,000 next week is the figure I've been given. And then it's sounding like there might be minimal movement until round six. Now, I've been told the government, unless there's a drastic 180-degree change in thinking here, won't approve 75,000 for next week. They won't jump that quick. Who knows what sort of pressure comes on in the next 24 to 48 hours. But as we 
sit here right now. That's not happening. They don't want to risk it. It will be incremental increases. They hold the keys, obviously, but there's jobs, the economy. Everything is on the line here if they stuff this up. And the other part of it is, guys, that the bigger picture, the Richmond-Carlton game was the biggest mass gathering of people in the Southern Hemisphere since the pandemic began. Because if you look at the fixture, next Thursday night, that's Carlton and Collingwood, is probably the only game where you're a genuine chance to restrict fans from coming in. So the feeling is it doesn't matter if we only go to fifty to six to 60,000. Because after that Carlton-Collingwood game, we've got Hawthorne-Richmond, Richmond-Sydney, Geelong-Hawthorne, Collingwood-GWS, Melbourne-Geelong, Carlton-Port Adelaide, Hawthorne-Melbourne, and then it's round six, the big ticket items, Anzac Day, Anzac Eve, Dreamtime at the G, they're the ones that they really want to build up north of 75,000. Yeah. So you'd concede caution for Thursday night to play the long game for round six. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is going to be a drip feed, as it were. We're not going to blow the hinges off here and have 75,000 back. And that might disappoint and upset a lot of fans with their hearts set on it. But the government, as you mentioned, they are a conservative lot. Uh, Brett Sutton holds all the power there. And I think we're going to be, we're going to see a roadmap, rather, of incremental increases. So for next week, the question on everyone's lips on, on Monday night after the meeting, I think we're going to be looking at somewhere around fifty five to 60,000 at this point. When I asked Gary Pert how many he was expecting this afternoon, I did think he would say between thirty six and 40,000. He said 24,000. That, that's not what was being promised on the day that we were discussing whether these two games today should be flipped. There's 28,000 only at Marvel and Essendon and Hawthorne would have drawn the 50,000, is Melbourne was, uh, my memory of it is was bullish that this was a, a major occasion that their fans would turn out in great numbers at the G. If they draw 24,000 today, then this match should have been moved to Marvel, and Melbourne supporters can blue all they like. But if that's all you can do when the crowds are limited to 78,000 for the day in Melbourne, you didn't have rights to the MCG. I was shocked by that too, but having said that, they were bullish on staying here even if they got 10 people. That wasn't their main motivation for st staying at the game, but they were bullish on a crowd of 40,000. You know, the members were desperate to get back here. It's our, our home ground, one of the oldest clubs in the competition. They haven't seen a game here for, for a year. They're going to come from everywhere for round one. Fremantle set the scene on an exciting new season. So when he came out and said 24,000, if you're an Essendon supporter, Jared, are you filthy at that? Definitely. If you're an Essendon or Hawthorne member, the 22,000 of you who can't go tonight, is you're absolutely entitled to go the, the wrong game is at the wrong venue. Perfect day. No no better conditions to come to the home of football. Round one, you've been starved of it. I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked. The look of the game through the, the first two that we've seen, there's a few riders to this because sometimes the matchup determines the game. It feels to me, Leper, that Richmond-Carlton games are more open than, than a lot of the other games Richmond might play. What are the? Can you see telltale signs of what the rules are trying to achieve through the first couple? Oh, there's no doubt the transition from defensive 50 from each team to the, the other end has just increased. Um, Richmond, funny, five goals from the defensive 50 from one end from the, from the opposition to the other. That's very un-Richmond-like. And even in their practice match, they gave up six goals from that area. So I still think they've got to find a way to, to stop the opposition. The man on the mark was such an important part of what they did defensively to slow down. They give them that extra three or four seconds to, to set up behind the ball. So... They're going to have to have a bit of a slow adjustment too. I know they won the game well at the end, but I know Damien Hardwick, he won't love ping-pong footy for too long. He, um, whilst the fans love it, he'll want to control the game a, a little bit more than that. And I just, I thought for Carlton, it was a little bit game-styling, but it was also the the evidence of the new players they brought into the, the team. Saad, etc., was good. Uh, Newms is pretty good as well. So a lot of their new players came in and, and had an impact as well. 
I like the visual of the game, I must say, and also keep in mind, it probably takes two to three weeks, Leopard, to find how each team wants to play and the coaches will say, oh, it is going up and back, it's becoming basketball, let's just shut the game down and slow it down. So I think we just give that the opportunity to breathe. But we speak about the Tigers, and, and so we should. I actually was impressed with the Blues ball movement. I mm. felt they were very distinctive in the way that they wanted to move the ball. It looked different to last year. Maybe it was against the pressure of the Tigers that love to come forward and turn the ball over through the midfield and just sort of back of mid. And then last night was a combination of both. You know, the Pies, I, I felt after the first eight minutes giving up three goals, said, hey, this is not going to work for us. We don't have the firepower and we don't have the leg speed to try and play this back and forth game. Let's go back and resort to our defence first. I'll be intrigued with today, you know, and, and the multiple games today, just to sort of get more of an understanding about what it looks like as a whole rather than just the last two nights. Because some, some teams aren't going to be very good at the fast play transition. I mean, the AFL system is a ranking. It's 1 to 18. Um, and someone, it might be only the two-goal difference, but if you're 18th, you want to change your game style, even though you might be able to play on, you might be able to do that, but then you think, well, hang on a minute. If we try this tactic head-to-head, we're actually the worst at this. We, we, we might as well kick and catch the ball a little bit more. So that's when, as you said, that month or so, they work that out. They work out what are we actually good at and how should we play given these new rules. Can I ask you this, Lepper, and it may not quite suit the Tigers over the last few years. How much do you accommodate a game plan for what you know can win finals when it gets really pointy, opposed to the playing group that you have at that stage? Um, it's, it's a good question because it, both should be taken into consideration. You should never take in modern trends into your, your game style because you have to have the personnel to have it. But definitely Richmond play game style because it's a little bit messy and they use the term embrace the imperfection of the game. So when it's messy and ugly, you can see Richmond smile even more. Whereas some teams that are really well distinct coaching, you need to, the ball to go a certain particular way, and it doesn't. You see the anxiety start to build of those teams. Because Richmond don't care if there's a few mm. markups along the way, because they'll just fix it up and keep moving. So, how can you see the impact that the stand rule is having on the mark? Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah, and and given the fact there were some 50 metre penalties last night for some very minor infractions, means it's they're serious about it. So the one for me is that. If you think about it, you're standing, the players with the ball, the umpire has to watch whether you play on first of all or the guy standing has moved first. So there's a lag effect from when, say, Saad plays on, the umpire says play on, and then the stand player can actually move. So you're giving them also five metres of play on space, I think, as a benefit every time. Sam Mitchell would have had a field day under this Mm. rule, wouldn't he? And that's it's funny watching it. Some players have grasped it quicker than others. You don't need to go back 10 metres off the mark anymore, do you? Just go back five. And if you've got some toe like Adam Saad, you get a couple of metres before the player on the mark, and, and that changes everything. Some players have picked it up real quick, and other players have traditionally going back to 10 to 12 metres. been fascinating. The other one that I've enjoyed with this new rule, and we'll often say, well, it's the kicking game that has to look different. But we saw multiple times that it was cheeky handballs to initiate that overlap run and to create five metres of space. We saw the one on Thursday night, was it Petreski's seat in front of us, Jared? He knew what he wanted to do. He wanted to get back and try and cover two two people at the one time. And as Jared said at the time, exactly why the rule was brought in. Because the flow-on effect is, therefore, there's space in front of the football you can go forward. I like the creativity, and I like the really smart teams and the really smart players, and you mentioned someone like Edwards earlier, that can not manipulate in a bad sense, but hey, there's so many more options rather than just kicking. How do I get that extra two metres? How do I get an overlap with handball and get the ball further inside forward 50? I think the great teams will really utilise that, and it will only get more and more evident. My problem, well, not the problem, but the worry for me is if you know it's going to become a bit of a basketball back and forth type game, and... If you yourself are sitting in the coach's box and you're thinking, well, it's going to be fast through the middle, 
I might just load my players at the ends of the field. I mean, as you know, 90% of goals are scored inside the 50. So if everyone's loaded up at each 50, well, we're not going to have a high-scoring game. We might have a lot of pace through the arcs, but we're not actually going to achieve the ultimate result of what we want. That, that was definitely there last night. It is Collingwood, like the Bulldogs could get it to 50, but then it was the toil to try to create a goal from there with the numbers, and plus the key pillars were great. As more was sensational. More how it was brilliant to see him back. Um, and Roughhead did his job. Is It did feel like once we got through that crazy, brilliant opening, um, Collingwood did set up deep and, and look to stymie the dogs actually scoring. The other thing I wanted to ask you guys is, did you feel last night took some of the heat out of the medical subs? So Riley West, not used. Callum Brown, they both kept the track suits on. It was all a rage after Thursday night. Do we, do we feel like we just a bit of the heat was taken out of that? Yeah, uh, yes, but... The, the credibility of the rule now sits on whether Nick Flostone plays on Sunday week because it's n- he was injured. I can't believe we fell into an argument as to whether he was injured or not. He was clearly injured, but that's not the threshold. The threshold is the doctor has days. to have the view that this is a 12-day injury. Gee, that's hard for the doctor, though, isn't it? So, you, so I, I would imagine, with a cork knee, that Richmond will go to the AFL chief medical officer. Peter Harcourt's going to be a busy man. Put the petition to him that he's going to be all right to play on Sunday. But that's And this is the whole, the whole problem with rushing this in under these circumstances is if Floston plays next Sunday, then from night one, you go, there's no doubt he was injured, but that's not the threshold. I spoke to someone that is involved in a medical team at a football club. They said they were so glad that they weren't the guinea pig and they weren't the trial on Thursday night. They didn't want to be put in that situation to have to present the case and work their way through it. They'd had a meeting, a medical meeting during the week where integrity got brought up. Who are we? What do we stand for? Do we want to try and exploit and use this rule? And they basically said no. They said they will never have a phone call from the coach's box down to the bench to say, is so-and-so okay? Can we sub him out? That, would only, that communication would only go from the medical staff up to the coach's box. You speak about the 12 days. The other one that this person said to me was that the injury could cause further injury or damage to that particular area or as a consequence, compromise another part of the body due to that initial injury. Yeah, but the player doesn't have to go back on the ground. No. So this is Floston's out of Thursday night's game. No question. Oh, like we're having a straw man argument. Anyone who's arguing that he could he couldn't come back on that, but that's not the threshold. Mm. That's not the trigger for the medical sub. There has to be an honestly held belief that he's it's a twelve day injury and that he misses the next game. <laughs> and for the football public, who are totally off this and hugely suspicious, if Floston is there next Sunday, the football public yep. will call sham. Let's make this quick because the Red Roosters arrived. But <laughs> after Thursday, it was bizarre to think that you could end up... Teams could be in a better position for having that injury. Mm. Teams could be in a better position. If a man goes down with an injury five minutes left in the third quarter, you could actually be advantaged by that. That's how I went to bed on Thursday night. Look, the influence that that they had, those two subs on Thursday night, was profound. So yeah. isn't it crazy? It's, think? Look, it's, this, is, this rule's terrific for the coaches, terrific for the players too because, you know, it, it potentially helps them out through the long term. But... Yeah, everyone apart from those involved on the field really don't like it. And even though me on the other side of the field, I'm thinking this can be manipulated. And particularly you think later in the season, picture a grand final, it doesn't really matter. Mm. And, you know, and, and someone is not playing well. Well, Bevo's not a massive fan of it. Off the back of what Clarko say, wasn't oh, well, part of the meeting and then didn't a, voice his opinion. He's a long-term sub 
hater. <laughs> so he's consistent in that regard. Just quickly, Jack Silvani, they're still waiting on the scans, the Blues, but not great hopes for Jack in terms of his uh, playing availability in the in the near term. Just the influence, Lepper, of the fresh man. So uh, Oscar McDonald made a big difference. He's probably not the exact right example, but Ross was. Ross was fresh legs when he hit the ground, and he was... You could see him running. Jordan Lewis said to us on 360 on Wednesday night, the fastest he ever looked was the one day he played as the sub. He vividly recalls running past players because he was the fresh legs. So if circumstances conspire that you can get the fresh man in, I mean, that, that's, it's almost ideal, isn't it? Yeah, and it happens to be who the sub is. But in the, particularly the way the game's getting played right at the second with the fast transition, yeah. So everyone slowed down that 5 or 6%, and then you bring on someone that's got some really good running ability. They just run straight past you. So it will have – that's where the temptation to use it for other reasons will come in for coaches. Because they'll watch what you've just seen, Jared. They'll see that, yeah, the, the sub is running past, which is why the sub was brought in all that time ago when we used to use it tactically. So the danger is, are we going to stretch out, you know, is it going to be tactical? Is it really injured or or injury? I know Peter Harcourt ultimately has final call. Does he have the evidence in front of him to be able to overturn the presentation from Richmond? The the Silvani one looks far more severe, so we'll take that out of this conversation. But the Vlosten one, if they present in the right manner and hand over scans and medical evidence, what chance is Peter Harcourt to say, hang on, I'm calling you... BS here. This is not right, and he's not playing this week. Well, he's got the powers to do so. Clubs Does have he have the that. evidence? How is he, he going to physically scan- challenge that and turn it? He can request scans and medical reports, which the AFL are being provided on the, the night of or the morning after each game. So each club doctor has more paperwork now. They've got to file through to prove that Nick Vlosten suffered this injury, and this is why we think it's a 12-day injury. And then throughout the week, Peter Harcourt can request further scanning, further medical records to, to have the ultimate say. So do we think that the Chief Medical Officer of the AFL, if Floston presents fit to play next Sunday, do we think the Chief, Health of, uh, the Chief Medical Officer should allow him to play or should go, no, you said it was a 12-day injury, you can sit? Well, there's an element, of course, that not injuries aren't black and white, are they? And, and right. players uh, heal and recover at different rates. And it's impossible to, to, to find... It. This is why it gets back to unnecessary grey in a rule that could have been made black and white either with concussion or just make it a strict strategic sub like we had in the four years between well, You go back to the Amy series game, it was the Western Bulldogs played Melbourne and Aaron Norton came out of the goal square, got kneed in the arm. He thought it was a broken arm. From all reports, he thought he couldn't use his hand, he wasn't going to continue the game. They got the scan, it was a severe corky and he's right to go in a couple of days. Mm. So there's a prime example going back two weeks where you say, well, we thought it was going to be really severe. Turned out it was nothing. He's good to go on Monday if you want him to, but he's got an extra week to recover. I'm actually less worried about when the good players leave, like the players we just mentioned, and Nick, because you're not subbing a Nick Vlossen for strategy. No, True. I'm yeah. more worried that yeah. you've got a, a young player, a, a Mabi or Chole, for instance, something having a stinker of a game. You're not going to play them the next week. You've already decided halfway through the third. You've dropped him halfway third, through the game, Lepper. Yep, and you're going, well, I'm going to take this hit because we're two goals down. I'm not going to play him next week. And then so I'll throw him out there to see if we can win this game because I'm not going to play Chole anyway the way he's going or or whatever it is. That, to me, is a bit more of a strategic worry for me. But one thing we've got to give more credit to, the doctors and medical profession are completely separate almost to the footy clubs. I'm telling you, they make all the calls. They determine 
they go say to the coach who's playing, who's not. The coach doesn't say, no, no, I'm putting him back on. That That's archaic and, and, they, and they different in generations. They influenced in any way. Not at all. And you, and you cannot do it. And they get really shirty if you try and influence them. Yeah. So I think we've got to have a little bit more faith in that part of the system. That They're almost independent, all of them. Even though Greg Hickey works for Richmond, he, he literally works for the medical profession first before he works for Richmond. The depiction of 17 coaches with beverages as the one out, that's not right. I'm, I'm happy to tell you that as a fact. How many friends does Bevo right. have? Uh, enough. The, the view from the, uh, the coaches' hookup, which there were 14 coaches on, um, was that uh, Clarkson's proposal wouldn't get up, so there was no need to oppose it within the meeting. It was, there were coaches just happy to let it wash over because the AFL wouldn't contemplate such a big move a week out from the start of the season. So they just kept their powder dry. So the horse bolted and it was too late to pull it and back? And it was too late. And sort of by Monday night when oh. Gil was saying on 360 that no, it'll be a medical sub, there were coaches going, if they had thought that that was the discussion, they would have spoken up, but there was no need to speak up as Clarkson was given full reign to make his pitch and it was a very good pitch, but there was no need to oppose him. So who wasn't on the call? So Bevo wasn't, Hardwick wasn't, nope. the, uh, Longmuir wasn't, uh, Simpson wasn't. Yep. So that's, that's 14 the four. four. Yeah. So he would, uh, Alistair Clarkson probably would have been the most senior, most decorated, certainly. And he's the, the most active in those meetings. He comes with a position that he wants to prosecute, and he prosecutes it brilliantly. Obviously. But there wasn't reason, that, there were coaches on that who didn't feel the need to oppose him on it because they never imagined that it was getting up. Well, they won't do that again. I think the AFL needs some sort of, even if it's three months, if something's proposed, that needs to be a certain period where they have to make a decision. I mean, it, this could have been made in round 12, this decision. Yep, you're right, Clarko, as of round one. Round 12, this is getting implemented. It, we've seen from the evidence that what you said was right. The fact that it was made in a week is quite a bit rushed um, and, and lacks a little bit of professionalism, doesn't it? It's hugely surprising. It's just such a departure from Steve Hawking's mode. Well, his mandate was we don't make, and they argue this isn't a rule change, but we don't make rule changes, you know, this close to the season. I think he used the example within the, within the year of the season. Yeah. And th that notion that it isn't a rule change, it's the first time the 23rd man has been part of our code. Of course, it's, a, it's not only a rule change, it's a historic rule change. It's a change. pretty significant change, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's and the move from... 20 to 21, 21 to 22, and now 22 to 23. You, you just know it's going to be the talking point for the whole year, don't you? Like we're will... limited sample size at the moment. Yep. And it wasn't a factor last night, but you just know there's going to be moments where it's going to rear its head big time. What do you think of Peter Volandis, um, who I think is he's the most interesting sports administrator in the country because he has a proper dip. Well, he's got an obsession. He's got an obsession with our game. But when you're the number two, you do, don't you? When you're the number two, you do punch away at the number one. When you're the number one, the the clever thing to do is just either be dismissive or ignore what's coming. But when you're the number two, is in your in your own way, uh, that's that's what you fight for. You try to depose the champ, and you do it any way that you can. There's so the part part of it is um, it's not theatre because it's uh, he is the perfect lead, uh, leader for rugby league. He's frontal. He's just frontal. If he thinks it, he'll say it, and that, so the game is frontal. The bit that he is right about is that he's responsible for the earlier return of sport last year. I think behind the scenes that's indisputable, yep. and while people mightn't want to give him credit for it, when every other sporting code was going to wait their turn and not be a priority with government, 
Volandi's forced the issue, and he did it in the face of ridicule, and he did it in the face of a huge downside if he was wrong. But he absolutely got the rugby league back way ahead of schedule and prompted action from the AFL much quicker than they were planning to. Yeah, he was he was chips in, wasn't he? He was admirably aggressive and good on him. I tip we tip our lids to him there, and we even got a chuckle out of him last year. But I just wonder now, Jared, as it goes on and on and on, do we run the risk of it just becoming white noise after a while? These little chips. I I, I must I like still the theatre of it, right? Um, and I think it serves the NRL quite well. So from the AFL yeah. perspective, they're emboldened by it. You think? Yeah, the, the bubble that we're in. We can almost be dismissive of it. But I think they, they have a leader that they can rally around and unite behind like they haven't had before. Um, and it, that can be powerful, mm. I think. Obviously, you've, you've lived some of this, Leper, and understanding the dynamic in, in Queensland with the AFL and the NRL. Absolutely. And, and one thing it was very evident even last year, with, but, but I think also with rugby league, they didn't have the war chest behind them either. They had to get the game out there. Yeah. Uh, they just didn't have the opportunity to go, oh, we could probably waste another 30 mil, 40 mil and wait a few more weeks. He knew the dire consequences of not getting it back out there either. So he almost called the government's bluff a little bit, didn't he, and just, and just went on with it. I think that's a good point. I mean, that's a very good point, isn't it, when you boil it all down. They were effectively painted into a corner. They had to come out swinging. Yep. But, but he got them there. He did. At a time where really no one else around the world was prepared to be as aggressive as he was. He, he, he stared it down. I admire him for it because the downside was enormous if he was wrong. Mm. Um, and, you know, Jeff Kennett and Peter Gordon called him on it at the yeah. time, but he delivered exactly the timeline that he said, and the AFL uh, started militarising quicker than they were going mm. to as a result. I think that part is real. And mm. um, you got a story from the suburbs, Sam, which is a really troubling story. <sighs> Look, it is, because it's great that community sport is back and everyone's returning, kids football, basketball, and, and parents are allowed to come and crowds are allowed to come, and it's fantastic. But the other side of it is that we've got these stories. Uh, they fit into the ugly parent syndrome. We hate these stories. Well, this latest one's pretty disturbing, Jared. It concerns the former Victorian cricketer Jason Backer. He's got suspected broken ribs, mild concussion. He was the victim of a violent assault at a junior football club this week. Now, witnesses have told me that Backer, who is also the manager, mind you, of Tour de France champion Cadell Evans and, and numerous athletes and broadcasters around the country, he was punched to the ground, incredible, incredible, set upon by an angry parent after training at Williamstown Junior Football Club, and it was on Thursday night. Now, Backer coaches an under-12s team. Now, People familiar with this situation are claiming that a father of one of Backer's players was upset that his son wasn't picked to play in the so-called A-grade side. There's an A, B, C and D and so on and so on. There's so many players there. It's a big junior football club. The parent was upset and confronted Backer physically when he was carrying a whole bunch of training gear, supposedly. There were hundreds of witnesses there, parents, helpers, volunteers and the like. So police are now investigating that, Jared. It's just a, a staggering... Um, a staggering ser series of events out there and a really ugly incident. So the police are investigating and, and hopefully they come to a, a determining uh, decision shortly. It's sickening. So Jason's a friend of mine and he is my manager. I didn't know that story until you came in. But that, as a community, we have to be better than that. that that's All for volunteering to coach junior football. Under 12s. You're listening to Crunch Time for the new Navara at Werribee, Western and Footscray. Nissan... The award-winning Crunch Time. Our deep dive on Crunch Time today. Is Dustin Martin taggable? Should you give up some of your system to try to thwart him? 
It's there on all our socials, the thoughts of Justin Lippich, who's seen him firsthand and even contemplated playing on him. Last night, Collingwood maybe just a little bit less. The Bulldogs on a good trajectory. Neither scored in the manner that they would have liked to. Steph Martin, well, the Bulldogs have been trying to get him for years, as it turns out, out of the Lions. And last night, they would have been well pleased with their purchase. He was with us at the start of the program. Um, Jared Waitley, Sam Edmund, Justin Lepich, as we head toward the crunch. Oh, as your catering sponsor uh, has looked after you well, Sam, I wasn't sure I'd get you back. Seize the cheese, Jared. Make sure you get in to try that triple cheeseburger today. It's limited time, of course, so get in fast. The rooster's calling. Indeed, we have been spoiled in here. Let's let's kick some ideas around to, to settle the season. Leper, is Joe Danaher what the Lions needed? Is he exactly what the Lions needed, or is there a bit of speculating in this? Oh, it's a good question. I've never known uh, two 200-centimetre forwards to work well together. It's an interesting there. We've got a lot of same-same about Eric Hipwood and also Joe Danaher. I think Joe is a slightly better version of Eric, though. One thing Eric is very good at is he can come up the ground a little higher. So I'm really interested in how they use him. I have a feeling that you'll see Eric a lot in the more of the back half of the ground. You know, the defender kicking the ball to sort of Eric longer down the line and then Joe being that next one that's running back inside the 50 but they'll have to separate them somehow with a bit of length because if they do are a bit side by side I'm a bit worried they're a bit same same and um, as you know with all football teams you need it you need a version of everything around you we're not going to get the Jeremy Cameron Tom Hawkins just yet that's a few weeks down the track you've just lived through Tom Lynch coming to join Jack Revolt does Hawkins Cameron definitely work or is there a bit more to it to figure the chemistry out I think at least they're a little bit more different than the Brisbane connection. Um, I think Jeremy can actually get up the ground really well. We've seen Jeremy at his strength. He comes up, he wheels on that left foot and either kicks the ball inside 50 or breaks the 50 himself and kicks it, whereas Tom's happy to be that you know forward 30-metre type player and either bustle, use his strength, or just that little darting lead. You almost see him point that finger out there and push off and do that little 10-metre dart of that sort of Tom's strength. So Tom doesn't like being outside 50 too much, whereas Jeremy's really happy to, to march out into the wings. I'm keen to get your insights on what happens inside the four walls of a club, maybe hot on the heels of a trade period, when a, when a significant contender like Rich, Wait, Geelong signs Jeremy Cameron. I mean, is there an anxiety is too strong a word, but how's it received in, say, in a club like Richmond, where they're like, jeepers, they landed Jeremy Cameron. Probably the first thing the players say is, how much did you pay him? <laughs> and how much is it going to cost me? Yep, yep. They're probably the, well, we obviously faced it at Richmond a lot long ago with Tom, and they actually, and it, Richmond are a great management team. They, they sat down and they grabbed Trent and Alex Rance at the time, and and Dustin and all those boys and said, this is how he's got in fitting. This is why he's going to make us better for longer. Um, and went through that part of it. Then obviously then spoke to the managers and sorted out their own contracts and how that fits. I think Jack Jack might have got an extension out of it himself just yes. to um, to make sure the security, the mental security of Jack was okay to say, look, you're not getting replaced. So all those um, threats uh, you need to be mentioned. You just can't leave it to chance. You just can't recruit Tom Lynch and not have the conversation with the Jack Rewell. But I obviously have a say, but how... Bigger say. I mean, Alex Rance gave the infamous interview, of course, on, on the catch. So if, if the playing group say, absolutely not, we, we can't have him, I mean, how, how big is their say? Well, there's a few train of thoughts. I mean, Alex obviously doesn't affect his specific uh, security within the team. They're opposite ends of the field. I think Alex was more thinking that because Richmond are finally playing well, that things should stay the same for the next 30 years, where yeah. in reality you have to keep changing your team up. Um, so Alex just had the perfect world in his brain and thought it should stay there. 
are players smart enough to go, this makes the team better and we want to keep winning flags? Yeah. Um, sometimes. Um, sometimes not. Uh, depends. I mean, you think about the um, security of every player within a team. Sometimes just recruiting another B-grade midfielder makes three or four other players insecure because they're the next young kid trying to jump up. Um, to that position and they say, oh, geez, you've just recruited a Brad Crouch and I'm the next young mid at St Kilda and I think I'm going to break into that position. It's depressing for that. Even though they're not big-name players, it's depressing for them. Did you leave um, Adelaide Oval last year after the prelim thinking, okay, so Port over the next couple of years are going to be the challenger? Yeah, I think so. I think Port and Brisbane are definitely the challenges. I think that for two different reasons they've got they've got some. I think Brisbane are a great weight, great position because their young talent I think can jump another level. It's just terrible news about Cameron Rayner and what he's just done because he was ready to pop as well. But there's some great young kids that are that are going through um, and going to jump. But I think Port Adelaide's challenges are different. They've got to learn to play somewhere else other than Adelaide Oval. Um, there's a few times at the Gabba, slightly bigger ground, not too dissimilar to this ground here. They just got exposed for run. So the, the two question marks for me uh, for Port Adelaide is playing better at another venue apart from Adelaide Oval. And will they actually, the stand rule and um, be able to the game bounce a little bit more, um, will it affect their really strong inside mids like Wines and Rockcliffe and those more inner type mids? Um, will it make it more expansive and not suit their game style? What about Harry Sharp? Because he is Cameron Rayner's replacement. He'd make his debut tonight alongside Joe Danaher. Just a fantastic story. Not the fact that he's a, a former champion, a junior steeplechaser, but he's still at school, Jared. So he's at school, and I'm sure Lepper will know this school, St. Lawrence's College uh, in the south of uh, Brisbane there. So they had a captain's run on Friday, but Danny Daly, the general manager of football at the Lions, uh, had to, or at least felt compelled to, send a letter, a note, to the school principal, Chris Ledbetter, asking if uh, Harry Sharp could attend the team's captain's run during school hours. And his letter reads as such, Please excuse Harry Sharp's absence from school this morning. Harry has been selected to make his debut against the Sydney Swans, and he's required at the Gabba this morning to take part in a captain's run training session. He'll be back in time for science. So that is so funny. Um, he's a great man, Danny Daly, my, my good mate as well. But that is so funny. Uh, in fact, I've got a, an early prediction. I think Harry will be in the top two steeplechasers of all time to play in the <laughs> AFL. How many are there out there? <laughs> is that it two? Is that there is only two. Yeah, that's catching on, though. <laughs> How young were you when you started? Um, I've recruited, you mean, at yeah. the AFL? I was 17. Yep. Back then it was a year earlier, so I always still had year 12 to do. So that first year of the draft in 92, when it first sort of came out with the under-18s uh, competition, yeah, you're really young. So um, it's, it's good that it's gotten that year or so older. Did you miss a little bit of school for footy? Uh, yeah, I did, but unfortunately in my knee my first year, so I missed more school because of the rehab I was doing. Um, funny enough, my grades weren't very good that year, I must say. <laughs> you know, so we had Leper on Sporting Life a few weeks ago, Jared. Do you know how Leper would have played Dusty Martin in the hypothetical we were playing earlier? Well, it would have just been like the duck down at um, Telstra Dome. I think it might have been back in the day when he just ran off him in the second half and kicked four. So maybe attacks the best form of defence for Leper if he's oh, playing on I'm Dusty. I'm glad we've spoken about that the first day because we don't have to talk about <laughs> it every end for, for the rest. Actually, the duck's in the box next door, so maybe we can actually <laughs> remind him about it. Would St Kilda's injury list be unnerving heading into round one? Is it seemed like there was a progressive, oh, this one, this one, this one, and now it turns out that there are nine first-choice players unavailable for round one? Just when St Kilda supporters were getting excited too, weren't they? They've got a lot that I know, and they're all jumping up and down, and 
Yeah, and they've got um, obviously some difficult games in the first month too, so it's going to be an interesting sort of start for them. Um, I think they play a terrific game style. They, they play a game style that's going to suit the new rules as well, um, which is really good. But, um, yeah, you've, you've got to get your best team on the park. They need to sort of get through that first month 50-50 and then, um, you know, start to get some of those troops back. So you never try it, you never say it publicly, but I think back to the, the twice where Richmond faced huge injury and it was so clever in... 2019 there was you took a an underestimated team to Adelaide to just absorb what had to be absorbed and then plot the course so while Brett Ratton won't say it publicly are they are they privately working okay so let's stay viable for this period of time and take no chances so that we make sure we actually do get to the point where we're fully stocked you have to plan your season there's no doubt um, and the one thing that came out of the 2018 season from the Tigers was the fact well it's kind of pointless finishing on top two games clear, isn't it? If, you, if your team looks a little cooked, it hasn't changed a lot. Everyone's been sort of focusing on you, you working at how to beat you. And then your team's a little bit off. You face a Collingwood that's up and about. They're peaking at the right time. You, you have to peak at the right time. So injuries early in the season, as long as you can keep your wins loss in order, are okay. It's later in the season where they really start to add, add up for you. Is, is it time for the Suns to rise? I just don't think it will be, unfortunately. I'm a big believer in it takes five or six years to build a team and really under Stuart Stewart started. Um, I think they've got the talent, though. They've got probably the most talent in the competition. Step one for them is keep them, and they're big tick. You know, all those players have re-signed. They're going to be there for their fifth year. That's really important, and we should be really gauging them on the ability for a Matt Rowe to still be there in year five, Noah Anderson, because if you're a top... 10 pick as a kid, there's a fair chance in five years you're going to be a pretty good player um, unless something drastic happens. So if they can just keep them together, the recipe for success is pretty good. But is it this year? Look, I suppose if they play a final, we should all applaud them. But if it's 10th, I'm not going to write them off because I still think there's a year or two for them to go. I reckon the Adam Trelaw situation, we all know the story, of course, but the way he was received by Collingwood players last night shows you how much the game has changed. I can't imagine this happening when you were playing Lab. He was cuddled when he went out there. Well, did you cuddle Mark Murphy when he played his first game against <laughs> No, I did not even cuddle many. I think Des Hedlund's first game for Fremantle, I nearly tried to rip his head off, and we just finished the Premiership together. So that's a, it's very different times. And oh. the, Talk about funny, in the Premiership, um, in the celebrations afterwards last year, when we got back there, Brendan Ellis is there. And a yes. former Richmond, Richmond player in there, and he feels that comfortable that, you know, he lives on the Gold Coast, obviously, that he could come to the after party. Um, and, and it was received. Pretty, absolutely. Well. And he was, he was there and it was invited by Rich. Richmond have a Richmond man culture where uh, everyone's inclusive. If you've been there for, you know, a, a period of time at the club, five minutes, a year, whatever, you're a part of that. And that's a really good way to look at footy, I think. And, and it's, it's like the Premiership Cup. It ends up in Jake King's tattoo parlour at one point. And Richo had it for a bit. and yeah. passed. So they ha- really have that inclusive nature in what they do. Because that sort of stuff does get those who played back in the day, quote-unquote, Jerry. It does get their undies in a twist a bit. I think that's the big divide between the former player and the current player. There are certain non-negotiables, I think, probably from your generation, Leper, that the modern player just does not... So Dermot Burton's got some hardcore things that he believes in, and the modern-day player, oh, that's just not how our world's ever been. Yeah, yeah. And they, I mean, they call it emotional intelligence now, but it's it's really about, it's not just what you can teach me, but it's more about that, your, your empathy and what you can do to support me, and those things are so important with them. 
the modern day kid nowadays and it took me a while to even understand it I'd go to I'd often say some things and make plenty of mistakes as a coach myself and then have to be reviewed and go no you just can't talk to them like that you just can't do that way they they need to be spoken to and treated a certain way so it is a big change from the old school That was the crunch for Red Rooster, of course. Try the new triple cheeseburger. The Rooster's calling, Jared. Let's get the Bet Deluxe update with Paul Sebastiani. Paul, fire away. Jared, how are you? How are you going? Melbourne, Melbourne Fremantle today. Well, we've got uh, interesting betting in this one, uh, gents. Melbourne, Melbourne slight favourites in this one at around the around the dollar fifty quote at the moment. Fremantle just getting out to $2.40. And there's been a lot of injuries with these two as well. So market siding with the Demons at the moment, but uh, giving Freo a chance as well. So uh, interesting betting market at the moment, Jared. And we lost the Golden Slipper. Where's the racing attention now? Yeah, Mornington Cup day today. There's been good money uh, in the uh, Mornington Cup for a horse called Shapata. Ran well last start, ran runner-up. At around the $7 quote, there's been good each-way money for him at betdeluxe.com.au, so keep an eye out for it. And in the next, we've actually had a good little go for Peter Moody's horse, Norway. We've had good each-way money for Eddie Mornington. Races in seven minutes. It's race two, number one. It's around a $9.50 quote, so keep an eye out for it. Paul, terrific. Thank you. Bet Deluxe, the new home for online punting. Betdeluxe.com.au. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Mask Crusader was really something last night. The wizard from the West working his magic. And we'll focus in on the games to come. Saturday afternoon, Saturday twilight, Saturday nights. Justin Leppage, Jared Waitley and Sam Edmund with you on Crunch Time. The award-winning Crunch Time. Who needs a rever? For Harley Heaven, the Harley Davidson Pan America is coming to Harley Heaven in Melbourne, Dandenong and Ringwood. Visit harleyheaven.com.au for details. A good fun feature for crunch time in 2021, the Harley Heaven Rev Up. For Harley Heaven, the home of Harley Davidson. I, I think we were all captured by Noah Bolter last year and then on Thursday night, he looked like Alex Rance reincarnate. And I thought, well, Justin Lippich is the man who's been on the tools on that front. So let's get an insight into Noah Bolter, Lepper. Oh, he is. If you could actually picture two players, like, and I don't remember any team that's replaced one player for another, and they almost are identical in a lot of ways. There are some small differences uh, in their personalities and the way they go about things, but athletically they're so similar in what they can produce. But uh, it's exciting because... Obviously, I've, I've worked uh, with Noah closely the last few years and to see him just adapt a lot of his things to now to be an accomplished back-half player. Um, look, it's terrific that he's got David Asprey and Dylan Grimes around him. Every young player needs someone to guide them as well, to keep them focused, and, and they do a terrific job doing that. But that, geez, he's, he's just so gifted athletically. That's his football, but what's he like away from <laughs> Yeah, you definitely um, use the kiss theory when you coach Noah to keep it simple, <laughs> stupid, unfortunately. Um, he, he laughed because he texts me that all the time too. Um, still, that the kiss theory is still something he's focused on because he's, look, he's a young kid. He didn't really grow up on footy, doesn't he? If you asked him who Lee Matthews is, he wouldn't know who he was. So um, he's that, that sort of guy. He just loves the game as far as playing it and doesn't really understand the rest of it. 
So you have to teach him sometimes some of the basics. There was a funny thing a few weeks ago where it's a free kick against him and he just dropped the ball on the ground still. Like he'll still make those yeah. sort of mistakes. And um, yeah, he, last year was a funny one because he yelled at the boundary umpire for not think he thought it was holding the ball. So he yelled at the boundary umpire, like, why did you pay it? It's like, no, he doesn't pay decisions now. Well, some want him to, but he doesn't <laughs> yes, at the moment. Exactly. So he's, he's funny like that. Could you see him growing into an all-Australian calibre defender? Oh, look, I think so. You know, he, he's definitely... He, he looks the part already. He had stretches through the middle part of last season. He faded a little bit late, but uh, well, he was the most dominant defender of that month or so. So if you're having those sort of results already where you're almost the best in that, a certain period of time throughout a year, it tends to mean the year after you should have a longer period than a longer period, and then you become an All-Australian, hopefully. Just one before we delve into the games... Do you think the appointment of Colin Carter to do the review of the Tasmanian proposal, given that Colin is, he has been a visionary within the code yep. and was there at the moment where it becomes a national competition, and if there has been conservatism around this, as Colin doesn't represent that old world conservatism, I don't think, do you think the people of Tasmania should feel quite bullish around him being chosen as the, the figure to do the review? Well, the government do. The government are happy with it. Peter Gutwin and, and Brett Godfrey, of course, is the task force chairman. They're happy with the appointment. And moreover, they're happy that this appointment will lead to, well, in their minds, an answer by mid-year, that the review will be done by June, July, which is the other thing they were pushing for. They didn't want it to drag on and on and on like was initially forecast. So uh, it's a probably a cautious yes for now, Jared. Whether the, the people are, are going to warm to it or not all hinges on, I guess, what the findings might be come, uh, come mid-year. Yep. It'd be interesting to see if it's a... Um, if it's a... This is how it can happen. As opposed to how it can no, happen. this is yes, and I would feel like Colin gives Tasmania its best chance of. Uh, so how could this happen? As opposed to the no, yeah. we're, it's it's too risky. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd like to think that too. I'm in the I'm barracking for them. I'm I'm in the I'm in the glass half full camp on it. Uh, plenty of people aren't, but they say they've got a watertight case, COVID or no COVID. So it'll be interesting to see how that's how that's received from a, an independent person. Our Saturday footy for round one. Melbourne and Fremantle, which is going to occupy a lot of our attention. So let's let's park that. Move to the twilight. So the Crows and the Cats, this feels like a mismatch, the two extremes of the ladder. Um, the Crows fans, somebody said to me the other day that their best description of Crows fans at the moment is morose uh, and just not a great sense. Kane Corns thinks it's their worst list that they've put together and put into action in their time in the competition. Can you... Justin, are they going to spend a period at the bottom that's going to include this year? Yeah, it is. And I do feel for Matty Nix a little bit, he's inherited a, a, a list management structure that's going to see him at the bottom of the ladder for a few years. And um, and let's hope he can ride through those bumps. Um, whenever there's mass exodus of players, uh, whether they be mass experience or mass youth, it, it, it means you've got to regenerate again. And unfortunately, the reality of our game is you get recruited at 18 and you're not ready till 22. That's at the large majority. That's a four-year gap, yet we give sign a coach for three years. So realistically, the 18-year-olds you're recruiting aren't going to be even capable until that, that period. So, and, and look, you should always recruit some players in between to help you through that period. But as far as the best parts of it, you're still a long way away. And he's probably only year two into that, into that plan. Tonight, Essendon and Hawthorne, I think this is riveting to work out who wins. So 
I sort of had the sense that if Essendon aren't beating Hawthorne, then who are they going to be beating? And yet Hawthorne are favourites. I was, so I was really surprised thing. by that. I was staggered as well. I had that feel about it too, that if Essendon are going to sort of do anything this year, at least frank an improvement or at least a, a show that the, the future's bright, then they're beating Hawthorne at, at home. But yet the bookies have them favourite, which is... But Hawthorne, how hard is it to get a read on Hawthorne? I think so, it's hard to get a read on both of these teams, yeah. isn't it, really? I think they're both... In, I mean, Ben Rutten's taken over as a new coach. He's going to implement some... And whilst most people think it's his second year in charge, it's really not. It's his first. So he's going to implement a lot of new... Um, and, and Clarko as well, he always finds a way to take what we think is not much and turn him into something as well. So it's a, it's a funny game. He doesn't like that suggestion that it's his, uh, it's not his first year in charge either. Don't <laughs> ever raise that with him. But so a lot of new faces here, isn't there? So Essendon are going to debut uh, five players, four, uh, three of those first-time AFL players, and then the Hawks, obviously, with Kaczynski, Phillips, Brockman and Hardigan as well. So fresh faces for both. And the Lions, so their um, their trajectory is well clear. They've drawn all of our admiration. The Swans are really hard to read as they've got this core of young players and you just wonder how quickly could they spike because they do have the 22-year-olds as well as the 18-year-olds. Yeah, the Swans are like a pizza. Even when they're bad, they're pretty good. So, you know, it's just them. They're always competitive no matter where they are on the ladder. You always think, oh, Sydney, really? Yeah. John Lomar always has a way to find them competitive and they can they'll always find a way to get an upset, you know. So they're the ones that don't worry, which any week you're playing, a, a Sydney Swans team can find a way it is to be competitive enough to maybe chip you. Justin Lepich, a feature of our crunch time in round one. I hope you enjoyed it because I'm much oh, yeah. the wiser having listened to you for the past couple of hours. Thanks, Good on you. Batting at 100% Lepich. off the text as well. He, he it. is, and that's not easily done, Sam. So I would say impossible. <laughs> round one of crunch time. It's there for you. Find it as a podcast if you didn't hear it all. This has been crunch time. Thanks to Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan, Nissan dealerships stocking the all-new Nissan Navara built tough. And for Red Rooster, try the new triple cheeseburger because the rooster's calling. The award-winning crunch time. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.